as uh, Pastor Jenna said, um, I'm going to be here a couple of times a month, and Bert Slofster as well. He and I had breakfast some uh, weeks ago, and we decided that we would uh, work together at an overarching theme called Windows into God's Kingdom. And so we're going to look at a number of the parables of Jesus, but not today. Uh, Pastor Bert will introduce that uh, series in a couple of weeks when he is here. Uh, but I'm going to preach a sermon uh, that I um, uh, wrote a number of years ago, and that has left, and this may sound strange to say, but left an impression on me. Because uh, every once in a while when, when you speak, you begin to realize that God is speaking not only to the people that you speak to, but he speaks to you. And I had to come face to face with the reality uh, and I'll put it quite bluntly, of my own ignorance. And so I wanted to share this word with you. And for that particular purpose, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as you look that up, and you can also read it on the screen, uh, please be advised that while we look at the uh, parables at Christmas and Advent, we're going to look at a theme called the Mothers of Jesus, Indeed, the plural, the mothers of Jesus. And then for uh, the season of Lent, uh, we, we plan to look at the words of Jesus uh, that come from the cross. And so uh, we'll look and see how all of that unfolds in the time that God uh, gives us together. Paul is carrying on a ministry to the Corinthian church. It's a church that is experiencing some difficulty. Uh, there are a whole bunch of issues uh, and items uh, in terms of how, you, how do we worship and what do we emphasize uh, and so forth. And so he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since I have had that, have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. 
Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed by day, day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'd like to focus on that. And I want to read also what Eugene Peterson uh, writes in the message with regard to this verse. We carry this precious message around in the unordained clay pots of our ordinary lives. We carry this message, this precious message around in the unordained clay pots of our ordinary lives. It was sometime in 1947 or the early part of 1948 that in the area north of the Dead Sea in a place called Qumran, a young shepherd boy looking after the family sheep was getting bored. And so he picked up some stones and started to chuck them around. And he noticed up on the cliff side that there were some holes and he wanted to practice his pitching arm and he aimed for the holes and suddenly he heard this strange plop, this strange noise that didn't sound like a rock bouncing off of other stones. And so he climbed up and he discovered a clay pot, something like this. It had a lid on it. And he had hit it, and it broke. And inside were fragments of a scroll. He went and reported it, and those scrolls are now known to the world as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of them preserved in clay pots. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 32, you will discover that God is telling Jeremiah that he should uh, get a deed for some property that he has the right to. And that it, those deeds had to be both sealed and unsealed. And then God said to, to Jeremiah, now put them in clay pots so that they will last a long time. And that's what Jeremiah did. Clay pots, quite ordinary actually, quite regular in terms of use. They would have been used to gather things, to mix things, to store things. And in this particular case, in the Qumran community, to store scrolls. Those scrolls date from about 200 years before Jesus was born. So 1,200 years or, or, or 2,200 years ago, roughly. It is interesting to note 
that the scrolls are now kept in very good circumstances but have deteriorated more since 1948 than they had deteriorated in the whole period from 200 years B.C. to 1948. In those scrolls, there are fragments and records of every Old Testament book that we have with the exception of Esther. There is a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. It is a treasure trove for biblical scholars. Because the closer you can get to the original, the more accurate your understanding of the situation will be. An ordinary little shepherd boy doing an ordinary thing discovers something extraordinary and we're all touched by it. You were introduced to some leadership people. You were told that leadership demands and requires that you step out. Pastor Jenna says, I've been doing this for a long time. One of the hardest things in 40 years of ministry was to recruit leaders. And you know what the ordinary response was? Ask somebody else to do it because I am just an ordinary person. I don't have anything spectacular that I can contribute. Others do it better than I can or will. And that may indeed be the case. When I watched the Olympics and I saw see people going down ski slopes under the Olympic theme of faster and higher and further and stronger, and then I am just an ordinary person. I would not want to do some of the things that they will do. I'm a baseball fan. I rejoice in the Blue Jays getting into um, the, 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 the playoffs. A number of years ago, I was at the uh, Hall of Fame of the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati, Ohio. We had taken a mission team there. And we had the afternoon off, and a friend of mine and I, both baseball fans, you know, decided we would go to this Hall of Fame. And so we went, and they had a pitching place where you could take a baseball, and you could throw it, and it would measure how fast you could throw it. I thought, ooh, that'll be fun. I wasn't 70 yet at the time. So I got warmed up, limbered up, and everything else like that. And I threw as hard as I could, and I couldn't break 50 miles an hour. And when you watch baseball today, if you watch baseball today, I mean, they regularly, I mean, you're slow if you can't hit 90. You're slow. I'm just an ordinary person. There are many things I cannot do. One of the things I can do, however, is learn about clay pots. So I took some clay pots, different ones. Look around, you are different people. Some of you have leadership qualities and abilities and you've stepped forward. Some of you have musical abilities and you've stepped forward. Some of you have administrative abilities and you do things behind the scene 
If you have read 1 Corinthians ever in your life, and if you haven't, I'd invite you to do that, then Paul will say to each and every person who is alive in Jesus Christ that you have a specific ability, a spiritual gift, to do something well for the church and for the kingdom of God. There are no exceptions to that rule. If you are in Christ... You have a specific ability poured out upon you by the Holy Spirit as he desires, as he willed, as he purposed. Just read 1 Corinthians 12. To do something well for the glory of God. So learn something from clay pots. Some of you may be like a flat dish. You don't hold a lot of stuff. But you keep a table dry. You keep it from getting a white ring on the finish. You serve a function. You preserve. Some of you may have memories of the history of this church. I noticed on the, on the, the wall outside, you know, established in 1950 and so forth. You hold things together. You preserve things together. Make sure you share your your stories with these children who were here because if you want them to carry on the history 40 years from now, they need to hear the story. So you may have a preserving quality. Some of you may have a quality of uh, being able to hold a lot more and things grow in you. Now, you wouldn't want to hold water because it's got a hole in the bottom. But you can put soil in here and a seed can be planted. A seed that touches people's lives, that brings forth some measure of fruit. You know, pretty soon, maybe elders will go around and visit with people. I'm going to invite them to become fruit inspectors. Ask your people What sort of fruit is being displayed in you? And don't be distracted by saying, well, I can't produce apples and oranges and pears. No. But love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, those are elements of the fruit singular of the Holy Spirit. What is growing in you and what can be nurtured in you? And then some of you, of course, you know, are, are... Uh, People who can hold a lot more. There's no hole in the bottom of this. And you can store things and pour things out. But learn something from these things. Each thing has a function. You have a function. Even as an ordinary person, you have a function. You can make a mistake. Not only is it functional, but it's fallible. You know, there are some people who are called to preserve things, but then they hear, oh, we need another teacher for Sunday school or for the youth program. And and every week again, the announcement is the same. We need another teacher. And finally, out of guilt, you decide to teach. Only you know, and all your students know, you can't do it. You just simply can't explain something clearly to someone else. But you've made this decision. Recognize that you can make a mistake. 
Recognize that you're fallible. Your students will thank you. Because teachers ought to teach, preservers ought to preserve, and teachers ought not to be doing the work of preserving and vice versa. And you could just sort of expand all of that. And then, of course, you live in community. Now, I'm not going to do this because, you know, these pots belong to my wife. And, uh, but if I would do, <clears throat> it would break and chips would fly off. I one time did this and then instead of saying that the church is a collection of cracked pots, I said the church was a collection of crackpots. I got the same reaction then as I did now. You see, we, we are functional, we are fallible, we're fragile. This week was truth and reconciliation emphasis. We have a lot to say we're sorry about. Tonight there will be this blanket exercise. I have done that exercise. I want to invite you and encourage you to come and do it. There's lots of room for you. About 20 people have signed up. They can deal with 40, 60, 80, or 100. Come and learn and experience how fragile people who have made mistakes can function in a redemptive and healing fashion. You are an ordinary person. But there is something extraordinary about you if you are in Jesus Christ. You have a treasure, a treasure within you, a treasure that ought to be able to come forth. Pretty soon, you know, it's, it's 1st of October, if it hasn't happened already, because Halloween is still sort of in the way, but pretty soon the pressure will come to start thinking about Christmas. Trees will start to be displayed at Costco and other places. And you will be told you have to get ready for Christmas and you have to buy presents. Some people are very concerned with the wrapping of those presents. I live with one. If there's wrapping paper that has stripes on it, the stripes need to match. Do you ever live, do you, have, do you know people like that? People who are very precise. And then it is a delight to watch grandchildren because they don't care about the wrapping paper. They go, because they're looking for the treasure that's inside. We have this treasure in jars of clay. What was the treasure? What would be the treasure in this jar? Well, I want to say to you, it is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ that he came into the world to pay for my sin and yours. 
Now, I knew that. I knew that growing up. And I knew that into my adolescence and also into my adulthood. But then someone challenged me. Can you explain and summarize for me the content of the gospel? And I said, well, yeah, I think I can. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And then... Then I was challenged, okay, well then, what does the Bible tell me or tell you? So I want to ask you to think for a moment. What, what does the Bible tell you about the gospel? What is it? It's the good news. I was taught in Sunday school, it was the good spell, the good spelling of hope, the good news. But I need to have a way in which I can remember it. So I want to share with you the confrontation I had about my own ignorance. And in addressing that ignorance, I was reminded of a little store in Athens, Ontario, a village outside of which I grew up. From the time I was six or seven to the time I was 17 or 18. In that little village of Athens, Ontario, which is the closest biggest city is Kingston in Brockville, in that little village was a five-and-dime store. Five and ten. I bought teacups from my mother there for Christmas, I think probably five years in a row. Not very creative, but she liked the teacups. Five, a nickel, and ten, dime. And so I want to summarize for you the gospel with five main points and 10 subpoints with two under each one. Okay? Five and 10. Five main points, 10 subpoints. And I've got pictures to go with it. Okay? So, the gospel says the only remedy for sin has to be a gospel message in, centered in Jesus Christ, but what is the gospel? So, this is the first point. Humanity, male and female, is the focus of the gospel. It doesn't start with God. It starts with you and with me because God so loved the world. Humanity made in the image of God, both male and female. You have to go to, you know, we have a whole bunch of things to focus on in terms of image. But just that we, we display God in the world. And therefore, we are of infinite value. We are of infinite value. And because we are of infinite value, something has to happen with us because we are all sinful and we deserve God's anger. Now, we had this 
Ardy? He's your son's Ardy? We had him in church already this morning, bored earlier this week. We confess about little Ardy that he's a sinner. That's an awful thing to say. Remember the old, some of you, some of you have been around before 1957. Remember the old red hymn book and the old form for baptism that in it there was an indubitable testimony. You remember that? I always wondered as a kid, what does that word mean? Indubitable. And that our life is nothing but a constant death. That's Artie's reality. It is undoubtedly true that he is a sinner and that he needs a savior, even though he too is an image bearer of God and infinitely valuable to the point that Curtis and his wife would do whatever they needed to do to preserve his life. That's just the reality. Humanity, important. Second, God. God meets us, his image bearers, who are sinful, and he teaches us that he is absolutely holy and that he cannot tolerate even the smallest of sin. You know, Liz tells stories to the children. If you would have a glass of water, kids would look at that and say, that's a source of refreshment. Who of you know what the medication digoxin is used for? Anyone? Anyone on a digoxin pill? It's for your heart. Overdose, it's the most, one of the most lethal medications around. If I would put a tiny drop into a glass of water that I would show to a child, it would kill that child. And you say, well, I'm not going to do that. God is absolutely holy. He cannot tolerate even the smallest sin because that would put everything else at risk. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. That God cannot tolerate even the smallest sin. Because I so often say, ah, that doesn't amount to much. Uh, who cares? God cares. But God is also merciful. And because he is merciful, he comes to us and he wants to find a way to restore us to health and life and relationship with him. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, third point of the gospel, a summary, Jesus is the incarnate son of God. He is fully human and fully divine. He doesn't appear to be human. He is human. The book of Hebrews says that he is in every way like us, except without sin. And because he is like us, he understands us in our temptations. He understands us in our struggle because he struggled 
really and sincerely in Gethsemane when he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He is fully human. He is incarnate. He has taken on human flesh. But he carried out the ministry of God. And the ministry of God was that he should become sin for us. And because he became sin for us, he was crucified on the cross. And on the cross, and we'll look at the seven words, the Lord willing, in the season of Lent. On the cross, he finally said, Father, it is finished. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. My, my uh, homo, or, uh, systematic theology professor says it was like God giving a receipt to the world, paid in full. All the sin of the world has been paid for in Jesus Christ, and now he is ascended to heaven. And being ascended to heaven, he reigns on the throne and he reigns through you and I and he wants to bring the kingdom to ever greater expression in this world. And he wants ordinary people like you and I to be treasure keepers and treasure bearers. And he wants us to be implementers of his kingdom because Jesus, the crucified, is resurrected and ascended, and he will surely come again. It is all part of the reality of grace. And grace, I want to share with you, stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, grace, oops, let me go back one step. God's riches at Christ's expense is the reality of the fact that it is absolutely free. We edited this just before the service, and I now realize I dropped two points out of it, so you'll have to remember this non-visually, okay? Grace is absolutely free. It is undeserved. It is given to you because God, your Father, loves you. It is not a reward. It is something that is bestowed to you. And then the reality of faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Some of you may have seen Niagara Falls or visited or you know, watched it on a documentary or whatever. Do you know that they can turn the Niagara Falls off completely so that only a trickle of water goes over it? And the ways in which they have done that is they have taken boring machines and they have gone through the ground and they can divert all the water through those tunnels and make them run past turbines that produce electricity that can then be distributed and keeps the lights on in a good part of Ontario. Think about that water. It flows. It's like grace through the tunnel of faith. Faith involves head knowledge. You cannot believe in what or whom you do not know. 
And so we had the kids up here, and they have gone to Sunday school, to Sun Life, and they are learning about Jesus. In the not-too-distant future, you'll see baptisms here, and you will make a solemn promise to help raise those children in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. They cannot know and confess Jesus unless it is explained to them. So, involves head. You put facts in there. But a head can be filled with facts, but the world's longest distance is between here and here, between the head and the heart. It's about 18 inches. And very often, the heart rings the telephone to you at 3 o'clock in the morning because you cannot get up and get busy suddenly because, well, that way you can avoid making a decision because the facts of your head are asking for an emotional response in your heart. I know of a lady who came to her pastor and she started to cry. And he said, what was wrong? She says, well... You know, you've been trying to teach me about Jesus, and I have been resisting. And the other day, we had some Jehovah Witnesses come to the door, and they told me a different story about Jesus. And I said, no, no, that's not right. You're wrong. And she said, and then I began to cry, because all of a sudden, I realized that now Jesus had come to live in my heart, and I was defending him. And I haven't wanted to do that, but now I am surrendered. The head and the heart need to come together. The reality of faith is summarized for us in question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism asks, what is true faith? Because there, there can be all sorts of faiths. For example, you have faith that right now there is no one in the parking lot slashing the tires of your car. Right? If there was, you'd be getting up and saying, well, it's all very nice and interesting what you see, but coffee and cake are waiting for me at home and I want to keep my tires intact, so I'm going to go out and stop. That's faith. You have faith that right now this building in the next 30 seconds is not going to fall on your head. But an earthquake can come. Magnitude of 10, it'll knock this building down. But you're still sitting here. See, your head and your heart, they're sort of in sync. So what is true faith? True faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this. True faith is not only a knowledge, head knowledge, and conviction, a heart knowledge, that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance, heart knowledge, created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Five main points, humanity, God, Jesus, grace, and faith. Created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel, that out of sheer grace earned for us by, by Christ, not only others, and here is the most important phrase, but I too. You're not an ordinary person. 
You're an extraordinary person because the reality of Christ's treasure is within you. And here are the benefits. I've had my sins forgiven, had been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. So what? So what? Well, because this treasure is within you, ordinary person that you are, with all the functions and with all the, uh, the, the, the fallibilities and the fragilities that you display, that treasure is within you, and you can function in this world because it is as both salt and light. You can preserve, and you can display, and promote. The question is, will you? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for the grace that abounds to us, for the treasure that is ours. Thank you for the gospel message of Jesus, for the fact that we humans are loved by you, our Father, who sent a Son as a display of grace to create faith, to help us to overcome our flaws, to help us to be holy as you are holy, to help us experience the reality of transformation, to help us, Lord God, to be free to display and to promote. We pray that you would hear our prayer, that you would help us to recognize that Ordinary as we are, we have this wonderful, precious treasure that we can put on display and that you make a difference because we are your faithful servants. So hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.